I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. So if you were here two weeks ago, then you'll remember we are taking a three-part look at one of the most famous stories from the greatest storyteller ever, Jesus, and his story, The Lost Son. That, uh, the week before last, isn't it, we looked at the younger son, isn't it, he said, and, who, and we remember he reminds us that when we walk away from God, when we try to live life our way, we make a mess of our life. And instead of freedom, we find slavery to sin and Satan. But there's hope for all wayward children, isn't there? We saw that, didn't we? Well, this week, as the story continues, we're going to be focusing on the father in this story. You'll also remember the context of this story, isn't it? We see in verse 1 and 2 that Jesus is talking to a crowd, isn't he? And in this crowd, there are two types of people. A bunch bunch of wrong-uns, the sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the drunks, the thieves. And then onlooking and listening are in the Pharisees. The worst kind of wrong-uns. There's also a third group of people that Jesus is telling this story for. And that's us. Me and you. This evening, Jesus is telling this story for you. That you might know yourself better and more importantly, know him and his heavenly father better. Now, what we presume or think we know about someone or how they feel often affects how we approach them or interact with them, isn't it? If a policeman presumes someone's a bit dodgy, or perhaps they're carrying a weapon, maybe they're there in a hoodie, you know, and uh, and got one of those roadman bags. Have you seen that now? Like It's like a handbag for bo- for teenage boys. It's really trendy. It's normally got drugs or guns in it. Um, so if they're carrying that, they're going to think, right, that's, I'm going to treat them differently to someone who's maybe you know, with a little shopping trolley and a shawl and a walking stick, isn't it? Or someone in a girl guide, or a, 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 do you have beavers now? Beavers and scou- cub scouts, is it? Yeah, dressed up. If you put a woggle on, he's going to treat you differently, isn't he? Than to if you're wearing a hoodie and a baseball cap. Now I don't know if this sounds familiar at all, but when I presume that my wife is in a mood, a bad mood, when I think she's going to be upset or angry about something, I, I tend to get kind of defensive and kind of get grumpy about it which always ends badly. I don't know why I do it, but I'm a bloke. You know? So I, and she says, why are you cross with me? Why are you being grumpy with me? And I say, because you're cross with me. And she says, I wasn't, but I am now. I'm like, oh dear, I'm sorry, love. Again. I always make things worse, isn't it? Maybe, maybe it's just me. Maybe you are far more godly than I am. But how we view someone changes or dictates how we approach them, isn't it? More importantly... Who we think God is at his core affects how we relate to him or react to him. Who we think God is, how how we think he feels about us, affects us massively, actually. In the story, the younger son has an idea about what his dad is like, doesn't he? He he thinks he knows how he will react. He knows he needs to go home and and thinks that his dad will love him enough to maybe let him work in the stables and, and cut the lawn, you know, do the sweep up the yard, maybe. He, he could be a servant in the household, at least, maybe. So he goes home, doesn't he, hoping that it won't be too much of a shock and 
won't be too much of an ask. After all, he, he realizes that he's run away from home and he's treated his father with real contempt and he's squandered all he's been given. He knows that. And you can imagine him, kind of, as he's walking along that road, up that lane, heading to his father's estate, rehearsing how he's going to, how he's going to do this, thinking about what he'll say, wondering if he'll be accepted. And I think that's something that most of us have done, isn't it? I know I certainly have with my own father, rehearsed how to apologize, kind of negotiated in your head how to try and put what you've done in the best light. And I remember really clearly once being in trouble, and I knew it was wrong to lie, so I didn't lie to my dad. I just only told him or the things he wanted to, that I knew I could say without, being, without lying, you know, or answer half the question, kind of trying to negotiate, put it in the best light. And that's often what we do with God, I think, sometimes. That we have, when we have times of confession or we're going over the mistakes of the day as we pray in bed, you, the question is, do you come to God plainly as you confess or do you try and paint yourself in the best light or in a good enough light that maybe God might be willing to forgive you? Maybe he'll forgive the actions as long as you don't really admit the heart behind those actions or whatever it is. The son is maybe anticipating the, the probing questions of the father. Did you squander all of it? Did you really spend it on that? How many people saw you living that way? Did, did you tell anyone that you were my son when you were sitting in the pig dung and living it up? And yet we see the father in this story. He isn't weak and he isn't self-concerned like so many earthly fathers. We see this incredible and beautiful picture of what our Heavenly Father is like. The younger son sees this incredible sight. Before he's even got to the last hill before his father's home, while he's still a long way off at the horizon, before he's even settled on his apology speech, he sees his father running towards him. This majestic noble man has hitched up his expensive robes and he's abandoned his dignity, kicked off his Gucci sandals or whatever it was then, you know, and he's just running full pelt, isn't he, towards his son. He's abandoned his dignity, he's abandoned his position and he's just come to embrace his boy. Now, my favourite time of year is Christmas, mainly because of the food, but we, I love Christmas because we remember Jesus' birth, don't we? And it's at Christmas where we see starkly the king of heaven, the, the commander-in-chief of the Lord's army, condescending, stooping low, losing his dignity and majesty, giving, putting aside his glory, and being born in a stinking animal trough, the, the, the God the Son becoming God our brother. Jesus willingly laid aside his glory and majesty that he might bring me and you that he might rescue us from ourselves and, and free us from slavery to sin. God himself comes and gets into the filth and the, and the horror and the muck of all our lives and our thoughts and our humanity. Not just lowering himself to become one of us, but becoming our very sin on the cross. Dying in our place bearing the punishment we deserve. Such is the lavish and almost foolish love of God for his lost children. 
When the son comes home, the father doesn't quiz him or grill him. He doesn't make him perform demonstrative tasks to prove his repentance. He's not made to crawl up the drive on his hands and knees. He comes to meet him. And he, to scoop him up in his arms. To bring him close, clutching him to his chest, to his sides. You see, the father has been waiting for him. Longing for him. He's been, he's been searching and searching, scouring the horizon. The, uh, uh, it's interesting, the two parables Jesus tells right before this one, the lost coin and the lost sheep, in, earlier in Luke 15, it's obvious that it's the shepherds and the old lady in those stories, who, the ones who go to all the effort and, 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 and do the finding. And likewise, the younger son comes towards the father's house, and the, the father, but it's the father that runs to greet him and embrace him. He abandons all dignity and ceremony, and he runs to see him restored. See, the son cannot do anything to remove his disgrace and become a son once again. Only the father can do that. That's the most beautiful thing, isn't it? The son thinks there's a chance he may be tolerated after all he's done. He, he knows he doesn't deserve anything from his dad. He, he's gonna sp- maybe he'll spare him death. He won't let him starve. But he knows his dad's kind and merciful and, and maybe spare him. Let him be a servant. One of the hired men. I think sometimes, as Christians, we have that view of God ourselves. We think he barely tolerates us. We know Jesus died for us, and in that sense he loves us, and he showed his love for us, but we think he doesn't really like us. Maybe he'll let us sit in the corner of heaven if we're very quiet and don't say anything. I remember really clearly I did something terrible and I really upset my mum and I was really horrible to her when I was a teenager and uh, it was a big deal for us all really and uh, my dad battered me obviously Um, but I was really upset I was really upset like I knew I'd really messed up you know and I was was trying to apologise to my mum and my dad and sort of just you know crying quite a big deal for a 16-year-old boy to do, isn't it? And, uh, and my dad said, son, we love you, we just don't like you very much right now. Which is really hurt. But I understand that. You know, I understand that. But God's not like that. God's not like that. There is a sense in which we think we'll scrape into heaven because God's kind of promised and you think maybe he regrets his decision. He kind of, oh, I said I'd do it, I'll have to do it. He kind of, he regrets saying Jesus to die for us. You know, and there's a sense in which we're just happy to be there, maybe just to be let in somewhere, sit at the back quietly. Or perhaps like you feel like you're lesser in church, but you can't belong like others belong. But there are no second-class citizens in heaven, and there are no second-class church members. The younger son, perhaps his father would let him in and be a servant, but the father runs to him and restores him to his rightful place. He, he doesn't deserve it, but he's given new clothes, isn't he? Come and bring the best robe and put it on him. It's like the vision of Joshua, the high priest in Zechariah 3, where his filthy rags are replaced with new garments. And he's called to govern the house of the Lord, isn't it? And we have those same filthy rags, don't we, in our lives, of the things that we've done and said and thought, our own self-righteousness even. 
And then the son's given a family ring, isn't he? A, a bit like the family signet rings that the posh boys are made in Chelsea wear. You ever see, maybe you haven't watched that. Probably, you probably haven't watched that, have you? You shouldn't watch it. But if you have, you know what I'm talking about. I remember meeting a, a colonel in the army once when I went to visit for a, a, familiar, a familiarization week with the tank regiment. And uh, they all had family rings on their pinky rings. That's the, that's the kind of thing this is. It's like a family ring to show which family you belong to. And, and the father saying, this is my son. He belongs to my family. And likewise, God doesn't want you or us to earn our place. He longs to restore us to our rightful place. And in Christ, he already has. He, he wants you as his child. It's not just that he feels like, oh, I've got to do it because I said I would. He wants you as his child. He loves you. He likes you. Even when we do unlovable things. The moment you trust Christ and turn from your sins, all is forgiven. You don't, you don't need to earn anything from God. You don't need to pay him back or, or work your way back into his good books, like I try and do with my wife. Instantly, you're stripped of, your, of the filthy, muck-covered rags of your own good deeds, your own self-righteousness, and, and clothed in the righteous robes of the Son. On the cross, Jesus paid for your, your debt of sin taking all your wrongness, and as we receive him and turn to him, we receive his rightness with God's. Clothed in his righteousness, the Bible says. So when the Father looks at us, he doesn't see our sin and our shame, our wicked actions and our, 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 our devious thoughts. He sees only Christ's work, his perfect life and his cursed death. We cannot clean ourselves up, this is the fact. My mates, we slid down the local banks of a flood field. We used to call it the Dippy. And it's like a big, like, like a big park kind of thing. Um, and uh, so it was wet and it was muddy and it was amazing. But the trouble is, we were wearing our school uniform. It was like Wednesday afternoon or something. And we got cakes like head to toe in mud. And, and I remember I, my watch broke as well. I had, a, I had one of those watches where you press the button and it tells you the time. It was really snazzy. Uh, but it got wet, it got water in it because it... And like, it managed to like, slow down and was telling us the wrong time. So not only was I an hour and a half late, I meant I had to be home at six, and go to half past seven. Not only was I home late, I was covered in mud. And I tried to wash myself off in a puddle, but it was a muddy puddle. I was grounded for a long time. And we try and clean ourselves up sometimes. Think, well, I've got to make myself right before I can come to God's. You know, I come to the prayer meeting tonight and think, well, I, I, I can't possibly pray because of the things that I've done this week, the things that I've thought this week, the things that I've said this week, but we don't need to clean ourselves up. We need to just come to God as we are. We're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. It's like Teflon. Our sins don't stick. Your standing with God as his child is not based on your merits. It's on Christ's. Maybe you've been a Christian here for decades. Your standing with God is not based on your merits. It's based on Christ's. No matter how low you sink, no matter how far you've wandered, we just need to return to God and you'll be received. Received not as a servant who's got to earn their place, but as a son. The father places the ring on the son's finger, signaling that he is restored. His rebellion has been forgiven and forgotten. 
He's a son once again. Like when Pharaoh gave Joseph his signet ring in Genesis and put new garments on him in Genesis 42, it is. It's a signal that he carried Pharaoh's name and he was rest- and, and Pharaoh's authority and he was part of Pharaoh's line in that sense. So as the son, so as the son in the story is restored, he's given that family name once again. He belongs. The father has no interest in punishing him or making him sweat or stew or hiring him as a servant to teach him a lesson or make sure he doesn't run off again. He loves him and he restores him to his side. It's a bit like when one of my little girls goes missing in church. I mean, down at Mount Pleasant, it's busy. It's in the town centre, isn't it? And there are busy roads, and there are drunks, and there are predators everywhere because it's the town centre. And often, you know, it's busy, so you sort of like the doors are open after the church or whatever, and it's crap. You know, you're trying to, you don't really, you kind of lose track of them a little bit. And every now and then, it's like I can't see them. Okay, they're not inside. Ran out onto the street. Oh my goodness, they're not out on the street. Where are they? Their friends are over there. They're not with their friends. Oh my goodness. Kind of wandering around the church, like frantically trying to find them, like sort of doing like air signals to my wife, like where are the kids can't find them. You know, she's getting frantic and, and you kind of livid, like, oh, they wandered off. I can't believe it. But then also, I'm terrified what could happen to them, isn't it? And, and finally, when I do find them and I kind of just scoop up my arms and all that anger turns to relief, isn't it? I don't shout at them. Well, actually, sometimes I just have a little cry and just squeeze them tight, isn't it? They've been gone for a long time. We often imagine God is waiting to smash us, waiting to get his pound of flesh from us. And we dread and fear coming close to him, coming to church, coming to pray. We're worried that he might destroy us or reject us. When I was a boy, my dad... We knew I'd done something wrong because I'd done something wrong nearly every day. Sometimes he'd just come up and give me a clip around the ear and be like, well, I thought, what's that for? He's like, I don't know, but I definitely owe you one. I was like, yeah, f- fair cop. I think I, I think I got away with more than, than uh, he caught me for, so it's fair enough. But I remember, you know, as a little boy, you know, I'd done something wrong and my dad would call me over. He'd be sitting in the armchair. Come here, son. William. That's when I knew I was in trouble. He's my full name. Come here, William. And it was that dread. I didn't want to get close to him. I didn't want to get in, in range of him, you know. So I didn't want to approach him. But our Heavenly Father isn't like an earthly father. One of the early church fathers, Peter Chrysologus, says, this is how the father judges and corrects his wayward son. He gives him not beatings, but kisses. God loves you. Now, obviously, God is holy and pure. He's a a consuming fire. He has every right and reason to destroy us as sinners, like Aslan in Narnia, isn't he? He's not safe, but he is good and he is kind. And so all who come to him through Jesus need not fear. Whether you've been following him for five minutes or for 50 years, he loves you. He loves you and he's not going to smash you. He, he is overjoyed because the price has been paid by Jesus and God himself has done all there is to do to make you right again. The Father doesn't want penance. He says it's time to celebrate. Let's feast. Let's, let's kill the fattened calf. Only the best will do and he lavishes his love 
on his son who was dead but now is alive. He does what the father is supposed to do. What the father is inclined to do. To rejoice. The heavenly father rejoices in heaven. I love that verse where it says there is singing and rejoicing before the angels in heaven. Have you noticed that? It's not by the angels in heaven, but it's before the angels in heaven. So it's, it's that when a, penner, when a sinner repents, the Father rejoices in heaven. He sings. He's overjoyed. The Father has brought his son back from metaphorical death. He was as good as dead, cut off, far off, lost. But behold, he is found and he is made alive. He's restored. Incarnation of our heavenly Father rebellious sons and daughters to find the lost and to bring them over from death to life even as Christians we can feel dead inside can't we when we choose to turn our back on our father he still longs and delights in giving us his life and restoring us once again if you're wondering about whether you can go back home to God whether you can come and you can pray, if you've wandered far off when you feel dead inside, if you're spiritually starving and you're hesitant, you're hesitant because you know you don't deserve to be called a son or a daughter, you, you know you have no right to be replaced with God and his family, you know what you've done and who you are. Maybe you think you've gone too far this time. And maybe God won't receive you that you won't find forgiveness. Today, know that the Father in heaven is waiting for you to come home. He's calling you. He will not only just tolerate you, he will honour you and he will restore you. You were made to be a child of God. Turn to him and you will be restored to the family. Don't doubt it. He, he loves you, not because of who you are or anything in you, but because of who he is. He's full of compassion and abounding in love. He longs to bring you over from, life, from death to life. So don't delay, don't hesitate, don't put it off. There is mercy for you from God if you only come to him through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's the same if it's the first time you come or if it's the thousandth time you come. Come to God as our Heavenly Father through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. From what he's done. Not what you've done. Christian, you know you are loved. Know you've been fully restored. You're not just tolerated. There is no second class citizens of heaven. You do not have to earn the Father's love. You already have it in Christ. You are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit. You are a child of God. Nothing can take that away. And if you serve in church because you think you have to earn favour with God, you'd be miserable. And you're kind of slighting God himself, actually. If you turned up tonight because you think you'll carry favour with God, you'd be miserable when you're slighting God, in fact. But if you serve because you've been set free and you're doing what children of God are just called to do, whether it's hoovering, cooking, welcoming, or singing, whatever it is. And there's joy and there's peace in that. Even in cleaning the bogs, isn't it? 
when we do it because we're children who are doing what they do in the Father's home. What an awesome God we worship. What an awesome God we can approach tonight as we pray. What our Father, our Heavenly Father is. Rejoice in who he is and come to him as a fully accepted, holy loved child of God. It's not about you. It's about him and who he is and what he's done through Jesus, his eternal 